Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, from the Santa Monica Studios, ready to bring you another outstanding episode covering this year's French Open as the draw has been released. I'm joined by Nick Monroe, former pro player for a lot of years. He's now a broadcaster for Tennis Channel. You can see him on Second Serve, a second screen viewing experience on the T2 channel with your Samsung Smart TVs. Nick Monroe joins to break down the instant reaction of the draw being released. Alcaraz and Djokovic on the same side. Who can make the final on the other side? Will it be Casper Ruud again? Is Holger Rune ready to make a run? Daniil Medvedev winning a clay court title gets the number two seed. We break down the women's draw as well as Iga Spiontek goes for her third Roland Garros title. Will Irina Sabalenka go two for two in Grand Slams in the year 2023? Rabakina is lurking. Which Americans on both sides can make a run? All that and more with Nick Monroe on Tennis Channel Inside In, and the show starts right now. All right, now welcoming on to Tennis Channel Inside In, he's back again, one of the busier people in the tennis media. He was on TV for a bunch of hours today on Second Serve on T2. Nick Monroe, welcome back to the show. Nick, this is also the first time we've we've talked since you officially retired after a lengthy career, so props for you on that, but uh, thanks for coming back on. No, I know. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. No, I, you know, had a fun 18 year career, retired at the U.S. Open last year and, uh, you know, definitely have no regrets and uh, just pumped to be doing, you know, more tennis channel and, and obviously here with you. I appreciate you doing this. This is a blast because this time of year is the wheelhouse. You've got RG Paris uh, going spring to summer is remarkable. Uh, and just the atmosphere, and, you know, you went to that tournament a bunch of times, but you start to kind of really appreciate what this game brings out of everybody because this tournament has so much prestige and it's an opportunity for all these players to really make a name for themselves. No, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, anytime you, anytime you're in a, in a main draw of a big event, um, you know, you, you, you want to win, right? That should be the mentality of whenever you go somewhere, you want to win. But uh, you know, there, obviously, as you know, there's so many great players and everyone in the top 100 can, can kind of surprise anyone any given day. So you got to bring uh, your lunch pail and be ready to go. Well, it's going to be weird on the men's side, right? No Rafael Nadal, 14 times the champion. It sounds it sounds ridiculous every time I say that out loud. But <laughs> the fact that he's not there, I mean, we knew this was coming, unfortunately, but it's going to feel weird. The opportunities are there for the men, but just not having his presence, you know, like a real-life rock star, does make it feel a little eerie. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, anytime Rafa would rock on the court there in Paris, he pretty much had already won the first set against anyone that anyone that he was playing before he even walked on the court. Right. I mean, everyone, you know, it's Rafa's tournament and every player knows that um, now it's just pretty much wide open. Obviously, you know, Alcaraz has been playing great on the clay. Djokovic, Holger Rune has been playing great. Medvedev obviously just now winning in Rome. Um, so you almost feel like, wow, like this is, yeah. this is wide open, uh, in a way. And everyone feels like they have even more of a chance, even city pass guys like that. They're mm -hmm. like, well, if I play my best tennis, like out of three out of five sets, anything can happen. It is unfortunate, not just for Nadal, but the players right, Nick, that don't get the opportunity to play that are injured. You could, you kind of, I would, I would imagine, feel like you're missing a chance. One of four majors, it's like a tent pole. So whether it's Christine Garin, uh, Murray choosing yeah. not to play Bedosa today now uh, now announcing out it's tough to miss one of these big four it is you know it, it's uh again injuries are part of any sport um you know I think you know you're lucky if you're a professional athlete and don't have any you know nagging little 
injuries uh, on your body. So, you know, again, but you want to make the right call, right? The, the season's very long. And yes, it is a big opportunity at the at Roland Garros or at Wimbledon. Any event is an opportunity, but you have to look at the grand scheme of things and how long the year is. I mean, the year goes until November. So you don't want to potentially go out at Roland Garros, hurt yourself more. And then all of a sudden you're out four or five, you know, yeah. more months, whatever it might be, depending on the injury. So look, it's, it's about yeah. staying healthy. Yeah, and Wimbledon right yeah. around the corner, too. So this is the really yeah. jammed, tight time for majors. Uh, well, you mentioned it, too. I mean, the, the men's draw is what we're going to start with, and stuff has changed within the last week. Medvedev wins Rome 20 titles now <laughs> in 20 tournaments, which is maybe the most absurd stat in tennis is 20 different titles. But he won his first yeah. clay court title, beat a lot of great players to do it, including Sitsipas, including Holgaruna. But that win bumped him up to the number two seed and basically put Djokovic and Alcaraz onto one half of the draw. So... A remarkable turn of events that shows you why even even the non-majors make a huge difference. Well, I mean, if you were if you were a betting man, yeah, I think you could have bet a million dollars that Medvedev was not winning Rome, mainly because of his mindset that he's had going into clay in any mm -hmm. tournament. Uh, he did say that he he went to Rome a couple of days earlier than his coach, and when his coach showed up, he said, "Wow, like I'm I'm feeling pretty good on this <laughs> stuff." And his coach was like, "What? What do you mean?" So you know, he was very candid about that in an interview, and obviously, you saw it, right? Like his. As we already know, his movement side to side is one thing that, that is impeccable. But what we did see him change in his game was he was using a few more drop shots. He was actually using some serve and volley plays just yeah. to change it up, right? I mean, we know he can defend. We know he can make a lot of balls. I, I've always been interested to see, like, God, when guys come in, how does he pass everyone? But he's able to find those open spaces and put just enough pace on the ball uh, to get it past his opponent. But yeah. again... The variety with the drop shot and the serve and volley has helped his clay court game. I mean, I can't believe I'm going to ask this, but it's like, what's the ceiling? Can this guy can this guy win this thing? I mean, he's on the other side of Djokovic and Alcaraz, and, and we know the clay court, you know, calling him clay Videv is a little extreme, but you know he's matched tough. In the final, he got the break at 5-5, won the last four games. I know it's a tall yeah. task, and I'm not going to go as far as saying all the way, but to get yeah. to the semis in the final is not out of the realm of possibility with just how game he is in big matches. No, I mean, obviously now he has so much confidence, right? So, so to get to the semis or final, yeah, he doesn't have to face mm -hmm. Djokovic or, or Alcaraz, mm -hmm. so why not? Um, you know, he was speaking in, a, in an interview uh, at the end of Rome, and, and they were like, well, do you love Clay now? He said, well, I don't really <laughs> love it. We have a friendship. So they have, they have more of a friendship than, uh, than yeah. an absolute love for each other. So, again, the, the clay courts at Roland Garros, they play a little bit faster. Um, you know, it's kind of like a hard court with just dust on it um, in a way. Yeah. And so if it, if it is a little bit faster conditions, again, he does put enough pace on his serve. You know, he, he moves well. So, look, you, you never know. Yeah, you don't. And best of five, he's done well. And you know, we'll yeah. get, we'll get to the we'll get to the draw right now. It's just fascinating because I don't want to fall into the trap that a lot of people set where we're looking ahead to matches and they don't happen because the sport <laughs> is so yeah. crazy and unpredictable. It's good to kind of look at where the top seeds are and what that path might look like. Alcaraz is the number one player in the world, and the path it seems again preface with that. It's got some some roadblocks in there. Shapovalov, Nakashima, round three could be interesting. Uh, it would be Nori or Musetti before he gets to that quarterfinal round, which would be the Sitsipas quarter. But Alcaraz is, you know, there's so many superlatives for how good he is, and he deserves all of them, Nick. But this is a new role for him, the number one player in a Grand Slam tournament. So I think it's more about how he handles that that I'm looking for. Yeah, you know what? Like, 
I think he's going to handle it amazingly well. You know why? Uh, you know, again, he's talked about it in some interviews, how he wants to become the best player ever. So in his mind, mm-hmm. he already is like, well, this is what I want to achieve. It's not like if I want to achieve this, uh, can I? I'm not sure. It's like, no, no, this is what I want to do. So he already has that vision mm-hmm. of being the best player ever. And so when you have a vision like that and then you so basically he lives day by day, everything that he does in the gym fitness tennis is to be the best player ever so i don't think he's going to feel extra pressure you know i've been on the tour with this guy for a very long time um well i say a very long time he's so young but for the last few years since he's been out there and you know what i've noticed is you know juan carlos Ferrero Mm -hmm. is literally with him at breakfast lunch dinner on the practice court doesn't let him leave his side and you know look that's a huge thing because juan carlos obviously was former number one in the world he knows what it takes to be there get there and uh, yeah, I, you know what? I, I don't think he's going to feel a lot of pressure. And also, I don't think he or Djokovic is already looking towards, oh, we could play each other in the mm-hmm. semi. Because guess what? As, as I said before, <laughs> every player is a tough out. Yeah. And, and again, it's going to be tough to beat an Alcaraz or Djokovic in five sets. You have mm-hmm. to play some some incredible tennis. But every player believes and, and they're all working to try to, to, to win the tournament. Yeah. Alcaraz is 24 and seven in five set matches, which is a pretty good clip for someone just new to yeah. the format. In a weird way, Nick, I think last year's you know setback is going to help him because he kind of had a little bit yeah. of this last year. Had a great clay court season, won Madrid, and then you know stumbled, um, survived Romos Finolas, loses his Zverev. I think that will actually help him going into this year. Yeah, I mean, look, the guy's only 20 years yeah. old. It's it's a learning curve. Yeah. You know, it's almost like we're expecting him to win everything, which obviously yeah. he's showing that he has the game and. And everything to do it so you know we have to kind of remember that that he is human and he's going to take some bumps in the road he's going to have some injuries i think that's the main thing for me that i've been more interested in are the injuries you know i was commentating him when he was in rio de janeiro he was playing nicholas jerry had a little bit of a hamstring got through that semifinal match then played cameron nori in the final then all of a sudden the left hamstring went on him the opposite hamstring from the day before and so you know, to have these injuries at such a young age mm-hmm. kind of worries me in a way. Obviously, he plays very physical. He's such a dynamic, athletic player. Obviously, he's taking care of his body. He's got a full team. But that that's kind of, you know, it interests me a little bit with with the injuries at, at this young age. So to get through these three out of five matches, I'm sorry, three out of five sets, seven mm-hmm. matches, it's a tall order, but obviously he can do it. And I think those bumps in the road, as you said, yeah. from last year, losing his Zverev, you know, can only help him. Yeah. I mean, with uh, with what the pressure's on him, I think if there's anyone that can handle it, it's this kid. He's, he's shown maturity beyond yeah. his years. Novak, <laughs> yeah. Novak Djokovic on that same side, and that's a, an entirely different question because not a lot of people discussing how if he wins this major, he gets the all-time record by himself for the first time in his career there. So lots to play for. We'll see about the health, right, Nick, because you can look at the matchup and say maybe Fokina or Arthur Fees would be fun if he made it to the third round. Hubie, then Rublev or Hatchinoff in the quarters. But I think with Djokovic, given, you know, the miles and the fact that he's been wearing that elbow sleeve and we're not really sure, I think form early, not so much, you know, how quickly these matches go, but does he look all right will be the test. Yeah, and I think, look, I think he's, a, I think he'll be, you know, I'm not going to say 100%, but he's probably at that 80, 85%. And we all know that, that you know, he likes to kind of be an underdog or a little bit of the villain. And, and he kind of takes that to himself of like, okay, watch me do what I'm going to do. And he, and he's very good about staying in the moment. And as you said, the form is going to be important, but yes, I would like to see him mm-hmm. get through those first few rounds and three sets so that he's yeah. not having to push that elbow. Right. I think if he gets through his first two or three rounds and three sets, that'll obviously yeah. help him later on and not have to push that elbow. 
we've seen him look rusty in the past early, you know, whether it's injury related yeah. or not. So that's yeah. that's something that has happened with him. But we, one thing we know, I mean, he's the yeah. number, he's a clear cut number two by the odds makers, but he thrives. He thrives under pressure when he's not the betting favorite, which isn't much, but and best of five, he is money when it gets to the late stages. So if you're going to trust anybody to overcome any obstacle, it's probably going to be this guy. No, that's for sure. And, and as you said, he, he can be a little rusty early on in, in, in uh, tournaments. You know, I've commentated a lot of his matches. And what I've realized is, especially in the first set, he kind of starts out a bit defensive. It doesn't really go for his forehand, doesn't really try to penetrate the court. You know, he kind of, in a way, like kind of sits back, waits, see what's going to happen. And then that's when he tends to make a few errors early on in first sets and maybe gets down a break. And then all of a sudden he gets back on the gas, right? So I think you know, with this elbow, I think if he can play more aggressive tennis early on, you know, win some of these first sets quick and then feel some extra confidence. I mean, this obviously this yeah. guy's the limit for this guy because he's trying to look to become the best uh, or have the most Grand Slams. Mm-hmm. More with Nick Monroe here on Tennis Channel Inside In before we get to the other side of what's what's lurking. You know, other players that I mentioned, Sitsipas on this side, Rublev, Hatchinoff. So there's some other names that could, you know, throw a wrench into that Djokovic, Alcaraz, you know, assumed semifinal. Sitsipas was one I just wanted to get your thoughts on because he's made the final here. He's had ups and downs. We, You know, he, part, he parted ways with Mark Philippoussis this week. Yeah. He's been a good influence on him. We know it's uneven at times, but when it's on, he is a top three player in the world. So that's, I think, what the question is, is are the margins, is everything going to be fine-tuned heading into Roland Garros? You know what? It is interesting move to part ways with Mark Villapusis just, you know, a week and a half or so before, uh, you know, his first round. Look, I've, I've played a lot with him, practiced with him, and it's amazing to me. I've seen him work with his dad a lot. He can literally put the ball on a dime. Like his dad will feed a ball and say, put the forehand short angle here. Boom. It's on a dime. Hmm. Put the backhand down the line. It's on a dime. It's amazing how great of a ball striker he is. So again, it's going to be about the form and it's going to be about his mentality. You know, it, you know, obviously now it'll just be his dad in the coaching box and not Mark Philippus's as well. Um, so, you know, look, he's got to feel like, again, this draw is open since, uh, you know, Rafa is not there. So it's got to be all positives. And I think if, if, it, if his dad is saying anything, it's like, look, you're playing great. You're doing all the right things. Let's just go out there and go for it. He seems like someone that could raise his level too. like, it's almost like oh, when yeah. he plays better players. That's when the game gets there. So you wonder, Hey, can yeah. you just keep it up early when he's not at that heightened level of competition? Uh, looking, yeah. at, looking at the other side of the draw, Nick, to kind of move along, we mentioned it's Medvedev's side, but there might be some players lurking. Do you have anyone in particular you've got your eye on? I think I might know who, but do you have anyone on the other side of the draw that you're thinking, okay, like this is an opportunity, no Rafa, Djokovic, and Alcaraz on the other side. Who else on the men's side uh, stands out? I mean, look, I, I, I've always been a big Yannick Sinner fan. Um, mm-hmm. I love his ball striking. I mean, he can obviously pummel the ball. He's doing a lot of great work with Darren Cahill using the drop shot. It's just in the pressure moments, does he get a, you know, he gets a little tight, right? And it, yeah. it, so it's more like, are, are you going to believe in those situations? But again, I think any given day, <laughs> yeah. this guy can out hit anyone. You know, yeah. we've seen he and Alcaraz just go toe to toe pace wise and depth of shot um, that I feel like if he's on, I mean, look, you only, you just need a two week stretch where you're playing some of the best tennis of yeah. your, of your life. And, uh, he's one of those guys that he's got to be feeling pretty good since he's not on the side with right. Alcaraz and Djokovic that like, Hey man, I might as well just swing free and see what happens. <laughs> he saw he's so solid on both wings and made the quarterfinals. He's made the quarterfinals of every major, all three, except for the French last year. 
with him, it's yep. more, you know, he was doing so well at the at the Sunshine Double, got banged up injury-wise. What's the health? What's the fitness like? But I agree, that's yep. somebody that's dangerous. Uh, Hogarune was who I thought you were going to say because he. Oh, is oh a, well, <laughs> well, that's that. Yeah, that, well, that's that's. It's funny. That's definitely a choice for me between Center and Hogarune on yeah. the other side. I played doubles with Hogarune last year, yeah. uh, right before Australian Open. We played two weeks in a row, or sorry, one week right before Australian Open. And you, you look, I can't talk enough about this guy's work ethic. When we played in Adelaide the week before Australian Open, he lost a three-hour match. Two hours later, we had a doubles match. We won it. It was 8.30 p.m. We both got on the bike to kind of, you know, like tune it down, just get on the bike, then stretch it out. It's 8.30 p.m. And while we're on the bike, he's like, hey, you want to go hit some balls? And I'm like, man, you've, you've already played three-hour singles. We just finished doubles at 8.30 p.m. I was like, nah, man, to be honest, like we, we play doubles tomorrow. I, I'm going to relax. He went back out on the court with his coach, practiced from 9 to 11 p.m., two more hours. And I know it was 9 to 11 because he walked back in the hotel to 11 p.m. And it was just unbelievable, which I already knew that about his work ethic, but he just loves being on the court. He lo- So, again, this is no surprise yeah. of how well he is playing. You know, at that time in Adelaide when we were playing, he was about 80, and I remember because we it was like a combined ranking, he was 84 in the world. Wow. And now <laughs> look at where he is. And, yeah. and it, it, again, doesn't surprise me at all. People are like, where did this guy come from? He hits the ball so hard. I've known that for quite a while. I'm like, this guy is special. And um, yeah, so again, talking about that, um, he's one of those guys. He believes he can beat anyone, right? Yeah. He believes he yeah. can beat anyone. He can strike the ball just as hard as anyone on the tour. And his serve, I, I, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, we were playing doubles. He was like, all right, I'm going to go ace out wide here. I'm like, okay, sure. Ace <laughs> out wide, bang. So he yeah. feels like he can hit hit spots. You know, I just I love his mentality, and I know that sometimes he might get a bad rap for this or that. Uh, won't go into that, but yeah. I love his work ethic, determination, and uh, he can definitely get to the final. It feels like it's only a matter of time for him to really get to yeah. the top of the mountain at this point. And yeah. I'm, I'm with you. The work ethics. That's a great insight to know. His confidence is key. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't fear a big match or a big moment. My yeah. only concern now is if it's going to be this moment is the fitness, the best of five questions, yeah. eight and six in his career. So maybe he's not quite ready yet, but it's going to happen is what I'm saying. It, it's going to happen. I, I think, you know, I don't, I don't think the fitness is not the issue. It's more of a cramping issue. And that cramping comes from nerves for him. Ooh. Right. He, so he is very fit. I've seen mm-hmm. him in the gym. The guy works yeah. hard, harder than anyone, uh, you know, hard, whatever, but the guy gets after it. I think it's more every time he's in a deep match, he gets nervous. Um, Mm. not every time, but he can get nervous. Right. So I think a lot of it has to deal with just kind of calming those nerves. Now he believes, right. He's, he's believing he's in the finals of these masters. One thousands, you know, I did send him a text and I was like, Hey man, I've had cramping issues in the past where I full body cramped seven times in my career. Couldn't figure it out. You know, I was trying different diets, all kinds of stuff. Finally, I just started putting salt in my drink. Obviously, if you can use Himalayan, that's even better for you. But I was like, and I texted him. I said, if you can just find iodized salt, put a little bit in your drink, that'll help you. And he was like, no way, man. That. And then his mom texted me and was like, well, really? How long have you been doing it? So we had a full conversation. Yeah. And sure, I don't know if he's doing it or not, but but we did speak and, and the mom texted wow. me. So I, if he's putting a little salt in the drink, hopefully that'll help the cramping issue. Well, when he wins his first major, he's going to have to give you an assist or a shout out at the podium. <laughs> he, better, he, better, he better give me an assist on that one. When he solves it. Perfect. Uh, yeah, before we wrap up and go to the women, uh, you know, other names to kind of look at, I, I do want to hear your thoughts on which Americans can make a, make a move here. 
uh, looking at the sections, I think Tiapo has an opportunity in his draw. Tommy Paul, too, because he could get a, a chance at Casper Ruud. They played some great matches in majors. Fritz is the nine seed. What about the American men outlook? Oh, let's be honest. I mean, Taylor Fritz, he's been over there since Monte Carlo, which I love. You know, like, you know, a lot of times back back in the day, going back 15, 20 years, you know, a lot of the Americans didn't go over there before uh, Madrid or Rome to get ready for Roland Garros. And so a lot of these Americans now have been going over very early, getting used to the dirt. Um, you know, Taylor Fritz is playing this week in Geneva. Um Look, I love obviously Taylor Fritz believes he can beat anybody, right? That that's his mentality. He's all he, no matter who he's playing, he feels like he is the better player. Um, you need to have that, at, you know, on any surface. But so again, yeah, he can make a deep run because he's going to believe it. Uh, Tommy Paul has been struggling as of late, right? He came in um, to Leon 0 and three, did get his first round win against Barrera yesterday, mm-hmm. then lost today to Nakashima. So he's one and four on the dirt. Yeah. I've always, and Tommy Paul did win Roland Garros juniors. Um, so, you know, he can play on the, on the clay, you know, it's just kind of, it's like, man, this is, it's almost like a matter of time. So it's yeah. like, is Roland Garros the spot where he's going to shine? I mean, I never put it past Tommy Paul. We played French open quarterfinals doubles just a couple of years ago. He does love the movement. He slides into shots really yeah. well. Uh, he's got an unbelievable kicker to be able to use his forehand. Yeah. So all that being said, yeah, this could be the time, you know, where all of a sudden, you know, you know, look after a tournament, you really have to take the positives, you know, like he, there's positives from him beating Barrer, lost mm-hmm. in three to Nakashima. You have to trust the work that you put in. Yeah. And I know Tommy Paul has put in a lot of great fitness and he's, he's on the court day in and day out with Brad Stein. So a great coach. So you have to believe, keep believing, even yeah. if he's one and four on the dirt, that that's right around the corner, a big result, right? So you have to keep yeah. thinking that big result yeah. is right around the corner. So yeah, I wouldn't put it past him to have a big run. And obviously, as we know with Francis Tiafo, man, <laughs> with his big forehand and, and his athleticism, I do like his side of the draw. So, you know, then obviously, as we see now, Nakashima beat Tommy Paul. He plays Shapovala first That's round. Good. I'm taking Nakashima there, yeah. right? You know, Nakashima is 1-0 against Shapo. Shapo hasn't been playing incredibly well as yeah. of late. Uh, he was working with his coach, Peter Polanski. Now, he did fire Peter and is now working with a different coach. So, you know, it kind of Shapo's in a different um, mm-hmm. kind of mindset of where he is with his tennis so, you know, I, I like Nakashima in that yeah. one. Other Americans, yeah, we, we have we have so many, so many in the draw. I Korda Korda Mackey. Korda Mackey's you know, Mackey's a matchup, been, yeah. 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 So Mackey's been struggling, you know, on the dirt. He's had, you know, some three set losses. Um but that's another guy that needs to keep just believing that mm-hmm. the wins are right around the corner. If you're losing in three, you're obviously playing great right there, tennis. Yeah. Don't think that don't think that, hey, God, I'm not playing well. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that because it's one or two yeah. points that change a match. Corda is the guy who we haven't seen a lot of tennis from lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, was, we have so many great Americans out yeah. there. Big runs are right around the corner. A guy like Ben Shelton, you know, he, he's he been over there since even the week before. He went to Estoril before Monte Carlo. So he's yeah. been over there for since the middle of april so that's yeah. a long that's a, that's a that's a long time you know i say that's a long time it's about a month and a couple of weeks i mean that's a, quite a while for an american but he also has a big game so all of these guys have big games they have athleticism they have the variety in their game to disrupt somebody yeah. right mm-hmm. um so you know if, if one guy's doing well over there the other guy's gonna feel like he can also do well which is great yeah that's a lot of laundry for Ben Shelton. I was thinking too, you know, just, being yeah. Over there for so long. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of laundry. I was able to speak with his coach, Dean Goldfein, uh, a few weeks ago. 
And he was just saying, which I, which I knew already, but you know, Ben loves being on the court, you know, like yeah. he's been playing doubles almost every week. And so even if he's taken a hit in the first round, he's on the court that afternoon yeah. uh, or the next morning. I mean, the guy loves being on the court yeah. and it's also new for him. All these new cities, uh, you know, different clay courts, different altitudes, like everything is different. So it's such a great learning curve for him. Yeah. Um, you know, I speak with Martin Blackman early on today in the second serve show and you know, he was also speaking to his, uh, Ben's dad, Brian Shelton, yesterday. Mm. And Brian is very process-oriented and saying how great it is for Ben to be over there this long and just kind of stick with the process of it. So, mm -hmm. again, all the Americans are doing the right thing by staying over there long, mm -hmm. getting used to the dirt. And to be, be honest, I think it's going to help them, you know, moving into the grass as mm. well, just because, look, you just get used to being over there. You get used to keep working, staying positive, And, yeah, great things are going to happen for them in Roland Garros. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. The rising tide of the American men lifts all boats. So it's going to be exciting. Uh, moving on to the women now with Nick Monroe here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Similar situation, but a little different. We have Igas Fiontek going in as the prohibitive favorite, just like last year. The difference being we've got two different contenders that are nipping at her heels. Sabalenka going for her second major of the year, won the Madrid title over Fiontek. And then suddenly an all-surface player, Elena Rabakina, has emerged as a clear number three. So I think that's kind of where we're gonna we're gonna settle in, right? Like you have those three contenders. Yeah. Obviously, upsets can happen, but Iga one hundred percent deserves her place at the top of the table. Right. Again, you know, she kind of has that that Rafa feel where you know before she walks on the court, she's pretty much already won that first set because people are like, "Wow, I got to play Iga first round." Great. So they're already walking on down a break, and then Iga's gonna take over. But when you talk about Rabakina, Rabakina is not scared of Iga Swiatek no. mainly because. She has the big serve, the big forehand, so she's able to to kind of penetrate the court and beat her with big shots. You know, I think what happens is, you know, a lot of the women on the tour can't really beat her with pace. You know, they're trying to move the ball around and et cetera, but Iga is able to put that first strike on them, and then they're on the defense. Whereas Rabakina is going big serve. If you don't, if you come up a little short on the return, boom, she's pumping the forehand yeah. to a corner. And so, you know, Shiatek is still trying to figure out how to get through that right which which again it's just more about first strike tennis who's going to play that first ball into yeah. the corner quicker so yeah i'd have to agree with you between you know Sviatek, Rabakina, and sabalenka it's going to be one of those three but for me it's going to be Rabakina coming through that top half to make it to the final Ooh. and then uh and then yeah and then it, sabalenka look if it's if it's warm there and the clay is playing fast and she's able to just kind of hit through everyone <laughs> yeah as she can do you know, then you're going to have those oh. two in the final. So you like Rabakina. That, that No, I mean, it, it's not like she's beaten her three oh, yeah. straight times. And it's, and it's yeah, pretty she's funny. she's beaten her three times, and it's, she's, not, she's not scared of Shiatek. No, she's not scared. <laughs> and what stands out is that she doesn't get rattled at all. Like, she, down a break in that match, I know Iga retired, but Iga could have won that in straights. Rabakina just breaks back. She faces a lot of break points. She just serves her way out of it. She's a very fearless player. And, and the definition of quiet confidence, because you just don't hear her say anything at all. You, you don't hear her say, I mean, you know, look, being around her quite a lot in the, in the, uh, in the, in the dining area at yeah. these tournaments at the Grand Slams, you know, yeah. she's always walking around with a smile, but pretty quiet, kind of stays to her team of, you know, coach and mom is there, maybe one friend. And uh, she's just got this quiet confidence about her where she's like, look, I mean, I'm happy to be here. I trust in myself, trust in my mm -hmm. game. 
And, uh, you know, look, it's well-deserved. I mean, when she won Wimbledon, it was like, wow, like she didn't even move up the ranking. She stayed at 20, at least she was 24, somewhere around there and Mm -hmm. didn't move up. And then she kind of, after Wimbledon, she took a couple hits early on in tournaments and you're like, wait, was that a fluke or what? But then all of a sudden here she is right back where she needs to be at the top of the game. And, uh, you know, lucky, lucky for everyone else or, you know, the players at the top of the game, she is seated, you know, she's not having to play, you know, one of the top players early on in a tournament. Yeah, and, and it's not yeah. uncommon men or women. Like, you win that first major. Ego's a good example, right? She wins RG in the fall in 2020, and then, you know, it takes some time to really kind of go up. Yeah. So, um, you know, but to beat Ega here, I mean, she's 21-2 and two in the tournament, and I was looking at the notes, too. She's only lost six sets in her RG career in the main draw. So it's going to be challenging but to beat her. But the draw is, and again, subject to change, obviously, she's got some pitfalls in there. Because she could get Krejcikova, she could get Azarenka or uh, Andrescu early. Coco would be the quarterfinal matchup if she holds up her end. I know it's been a little inconsistent. And then Rabakina semi. So for as great as Iga is, there is definitely some pitfalls potentially in her way. Yeah, I mean, again, she she kind of feels pretty comfortable against Coco because Coco at the moment hasn't been able to kind of hit through Sviatek. Azarenka does play Andrescu in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that can be tricky depending on how Andrescu's moving. Um, you know, her movement is everything for her. So, yeah, but, and, and like you said, Kerchikova, um, obviously former champion. So there's players that have been there and, yeah. and done it before that could, could maybe upset Sviatek, but I feel like she, she feels like she's the better player between yeah. all of them, uh, where she might, you know, get a little tight as having to play Rabakina. Sabalenka is the interesting one too, because for someone that's been as good, you know, it's almost like she is kind of under the radar and she's on the other side of the section, which is big for you know, her, it's almost like Nick in a weird way that the pressure kind of got alleviated. Like you win that first one, everyone said, Oh, you're not a grand slam champion. You hadn't done this before. Now she's done it. And she's a player with all those same weapons. that's not feeling that same amount of pressure. It's wild when you think about it. Yeah. She look, she's not feeling that pressure from people saying, Oh, you hit the ball big, (laughs) but what's happening. You're not winning anything. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, also her, her second serve is shored up a little bit. She's going for bigger targets on second serve, still keeping the pace up, but going for bigger targets. And so when your serve is feeling great, Mm -hmm. the rest of your game feels great. Right. And we already know how great of a ball striker she is. She, you know, she hits the ball so hard, but you know, there were times where her second serve would go on her. And then all of a sudden you start to second guess your game. You're like, wait, even if everything else was feeling great, you hit a couple seconds. That's all you're thinking about. You know, second serve. that's all you're thinking about are the serves. Like, wait a second. I, now I got to make the first serve. And so you start kind of dialing down the pace on the first serve. And then all of a sudden the rest of your game starts to fall apart. Now that her serve is shirt up, you know, her confidence is up or her, her forehand she's hitting it bigger and you can just tell i mean she's walking around more with a smile on her face at these tournaments and just kind of like more relaxed it's like hey this is you know yeah i'm number two in the world and i'm gonna win more majors i'm gonna win more tournaments it's just a matter of time she never really felt like she feared anyone else now that knowing that she has confidence in herself it's it's taking her leaps and bounds Uh, who are the other players i know we always have upsets in both the men and the women's side but who are some other players that you think might be lurking to be disruptors even if they're even if they're unseated or just lower seeds in the draw um i look I, one czech player is von drusova she's mm. ranked 54 in the world right now um I know this, yeah. you know she's a she, she's a player that i've just always been so impressed with um especially her movement on the clay um mm. i was actually in prague last year playing a challenger this was before roland garros and and at her home club actually and she wasn't she was still injured wasn't playing on the tour at the moment but 
every day she was on the court for two to three hours. And I was just impressed with her work ethic. You know, she was coming back from injury and I don't remember what the injury was, but she was, she was still on the court working, working with her coach, Jan Myrtle. And, uh, but she's a player who also isn't afraid of anybody. She's, she, you know, she's been there top 20. Um, so that would be one player, uh, that would be, that would be lurking in the draw for me. And again, I kind of keep saying it, but no one's talking about Caroline Garcia. Mm. I mean, Caroline Garcia, you know, is she four or five in the world right now? And, 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 you know, she's made the quarterfinals yeah. there at Roland Girls before. People keep talking about how nervous she gets in big moments. But by the same token, at some point, it's like, you know, it could be her time, especially at her home slam. You know, yeah. I mean, she's got she's got such a big forehand and a big game. You're this kind of, you yeah. know, you're, you're it, like, like I said, all you need is two solid weeks where you're just feeling yourself and and the and the ball's going in and you're striking yeah. it big you know because she doesn't have one of those games where it's like okay let me just let me just move the ball around and see mm-hmm. what's going to happen she has that game where she's like no no, no i'm going big on second serve returns i'm going <laughs> yeah. big on forehand so for a week and a half two weeks if she's feeling it watch out yeah number five yeah. seed and had struggled a little bit after winning the tour finals last year said she felt some pressure i, I agree with you i think this is going to be just what the doctor ordered playing at home yeah and, and Jimmy Arias yeah. told me why she's so good to him is that she gets to off to advantages in the rally early. Good enough serve to get an advantage. Yeah. Great clean first strike return, and that's huge at any surface. So I'm with you there. And, of course, i got to bring up Ostapenko because that's someone that's alive. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get, but if it if it yeah. clicks, <laughs> who knows? You literally you literally have no idea what you're – I don't think she knows what she's uh, going to get when she wakes up that morning, you know, and, and – uh, and uh, but, you know, look, when she's on, obviously she's won the title before, you know, again, it, with her, it's about her mindset, but also her serve. If, if if she's not serving well, the second serve is kind of in the middle of the box yeah. there. And, and, a, and, a, and a player like Garcia or Sabalenka, whoever can can play first strike tennis off of it. But again, it's all going to be all about her mindset and mentality when she gets out of bed that morning. Yeah, I, I think she has like over 50% of the sets she's played this year have been like 6-1 or 6-2 one way or the other, yeah. so it's just yeah. it's chaos. <laughs> uh, other other names to quickly mention, I want to see Andreva, the 16-year-old who qualified for the tournament. That seems like, talk about only a matter of time, that's someone for sure. And then, of course, yep. you know the American outlook, there's some names to kind of keep in mind. Coco, I mentioned, Pagula's number yeah. three seed. Sloan, who won a tough one today, who's been in the final yeah. before. So the women have their have their options as well for the Americans. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, Sloan won a challenger last week. Now she's in the semifinals uh, there in Rabat. And, you know, she she looks very confident. You know, she's working with Darian King now. She's no longer working with Francisco Roig, um, former coach of Rafael Nadal. And, and, you know, I was able to speak with him today. And he said, man, you know, she she's – feeling confident. Uh, they've been working a lot on her taking the backhand a little bit early, been working on if she does get pushed back, get more height on the ball. So working on some specifics that are obviously improving her game on second serve tomorrow, we're going to be able to talk with Shelby Rogers. Uh, Shelby's ranked or seated 32 in the draw. She's also a player that, you know, look, she's slowly just keeps moving up, keeps yeah. moving up, keeps moving up. And we keep talking about obviously Coco and Pagula and there's Sloan and Madison, but Shelby just keeps moving up and she, um, yeah, you know, look, watch out for her. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it'd be a lot of fun. Well, the first round, um, has, I mean, for the women, I think arguably stronger matchups than what the men have to offer. Sloan versus Pliskova, Sakari yeah. Mukova, Azrenka Andrescu, which we mentioned, Collins and Pagula. And then of course I got to throw in Cornet and Georgie, who knows what to expect in that one <laughs> other than drama. <laughs> 
there'll be there there'll be some some firepower uh, from uh georgie and some defense from cornet and yeah. and uh the fringe crowd will definitely be behind cornet so uh but yeah as you said i mean i, I feel like sloan has the upper hand on Pliskova. i believe sloan is four and one if i'm not if i'm not so, correct yeah. uh, against Pliskova. so you know um i think she has the upper hand there uh pagula look you can pretty much just pencil her in every grand slam in the quarterfinal and then and then we'll see what happens from there. She's been playing so well. You know, Coco Goff, now she has brought in Patrick Maratoglu onto her team uh, there in Roland Garros, along with um, Jameer Jenkins, the former hitting partner of Serena Williams. So she basically has Serena's team now um, as her team. And so, look, all of these things um, are all positives. So let's yeah. just see. Let's see what, what happens. Can't wait to watch it all unfold from Paris starts this Sunday, May 28th. Uh, Nick Monroe, this was a blast. And just as a final final mention, what's been the most fun part for you on second serve, the second screen viewing experience, getting the chance to, you know, be, be a little different in the broadcasting world for good? Yeah, you know, look, it, it's so much fun. You know, obviously, we everyone's, I think, seen the Peyton and Eli version on Monday Night Football where they're chatting it up and invite guests on. So, for me, it's, it's so much fun to obviously invite the guests. You know, we've had Mike and Bob Bryan. We've had Luke and Murphy Jensen this week. Uh, you know, it's their 30th anniversary from winning Roland Garros, Luke and Murphy. And then for Bob and Mike, it's their 20th anniversary, right? So um, um, from their first title. So it's been great to just have, again, James Blake we had. We had Taylor Fritz call in from Munich before one of his rounds. We had Marcos Giron. So to have the player, the former players, the current players, uh, USTA coaches, Kathy Rinaldi, Martin Blackman, to hear their perspective on number one, the tennis that we're watching while they're on the call and, and having them discuss the players that we have. And then number two, just the overall state of tennis, yeah. uh, whether it's American tennis, whether it's the analytics, we were able to talk to Dave Ramos, who is the head of analytics for USTA, Craig O'Shaughnessy, who's head of uh, analytics for for tennis Italy. So anyways, just to be able to pick their brains on, on, on everything. Right. Um, I feel like there's so much knowledge to learn and, and be had um, that it's great to be able to have a few different voices all at the same time on one screen for people to listen to. Um, and also just being able to talk over the tennis a little bit, like have a little, a little emotion in between like, wow, what a drop shot. Or, oh, yeah. wow. Look at the slide in the forehand. Meanwhile, the point's still going. And, but we, but we, you know, we're all, you know, even, myself being on tour for 18 years, still a massive tennis fan. We're all mm -hmm. tennis fans of these players, amazing shots, amazing athleticism. And so just being able to kind of relay that with all of our guests calling in is fun. Yeah. Love the running commentary and the guests are just you know, no shortage. <laughs> Michael Chang, I saw on there too. The other yeah, we had Michael it, Chang so. a couple of days ago, obviously yeah. one rolling arrows in 1989. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah. it, tomorrow, tomorrow's female Friday. We've got oh. Kathy Rinaldi calling in head of, head of us tennis uh, for the women. We've got, Shelby Rogers, and we've got uh, Tracy Austin coming on set with us. Okay. Tracy obviously always brings so much energy, and we have Danielle Collins calling in. So we have quite a few uh, you know, current players, former players, so it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, we had a clip of Kathy Rinaldi dancing the jump around when they won the Billie Jean King Cup tie. So I don't know. We might have to get that oh, to God. you guys for the, oh, for the my broadcast. God. Wait, okay, so you got you to tell <laughs> producer Mike Hayson about to. that. We we need that clip. We need to, that clip. I might have to send it to you guys. But Nick Monroe, this was a I pleasure. Always a blast talking to you. Uh, one of the more popular guys on tour. Now one of the more popular guys at Tennis Channel. But thanks for coming on the podcast. <laughs> Mitch, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot.
Thanks again to Nick Monroe for appearing on this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. And you can catch him tomorrow, the final day of the week, on Second Serve. It's on T2 if you have a Samsung TV. It's a perfect second screen viewing opportunity where you can watch the matches in one screen. Watch him and my guy Jeff Chisiver break down the action, joined by a bunch of guests. It comes and goes throughout the tennis calendar, so there's plenty of opportunities to check Nick Monroe, Jeff Chisber, and a rotating cast of guests on Second Serve on your T2 channel, on your Samsung Smart TVs. And Tennis Channel Inside In can be found on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Just go to tennis.com slash podcast. You'll find this show. You'll find our outstanding catalog of shows. You're missing out if you're not checking out all the great content that the podcast network, the TC Podcast Network provides. Inside In is streaming on all your podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, iHeart to name a few. We are everywhere that podcasts are found. The French Open Roland Garros starts on Sunday, May 28th. Tennis Channel will have you covered first ball to last. It's going to be an amazing, amazing second slam of the year with the tennis world in Paris. This show's back next Thursday to recap the first couple of days of action. There will be drama. There will be upsets. We know it happens every year. And we'll be here to react on Tennis Channel Inside In. For Nick Monroe, my name is Mitch Michaels. You've just listened to Tennis Channel Inside In. We appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you next week.